All right, all right. Good morning and good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing today? We good? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Great to see all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. We're going to be Matthew 4, verse 23, all the way to chapter 5, verse 2. And as that video showed, we're going to be uh, beginning a five-month journey into the Sermon on the Mount. Who here is excited for that? Yeah. Some of you are like, wait a second, Nick. I was here last week, and you said we're going to be diving into Acts. And last week, I thought we were going to be diving into Acts as well. And uh, you might be asking, well, how did that happen? What happened? And what happened was midweek, I was um, getting ready to start carving out the Acts sermon and the Acts sermon series for uh, 2022. We spent 10 months in the book of Acts in 2021, and I thought we were going to run it back, baby. And it was going to be awesome. And maybe we will this year, later on in the year. And out of nowhere, I just really felt the Lord impress upon me unsolicited, extremely strongly that we're not to go into Acts and that he really wanted us as a church family to talk about love through the Sermon on the Mount. To talk about love, on the ser- love through the Sermon on the Mount. And so in that moment, as I felt the Lord was impressing that upon me, I opened up the Sermon on the Mount and uh, I immediately began, began crying, uh, just, un- just out of nowhere, just started weeping under this conviction of how little I base my life off of the Sermon on the Mount. How little my life and conduct is shaped by the core central teaching of Jesus about what it means to be a follower of him. And I was weeping over the fact that often I run to other sources, other leaders, other messiahs to gather uh, uh, inf- I gather information on what is true and abundant life look like, right? Like, let me run to this book by this theologian, or let me run to this podcast by a guy named Jocko, who's a Navy SEAL, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, Jocko, yeah, yeah. I have his protein at my house, too. His podcast is great. Uh, um, and, and I wept, and it was, it was totally uh, of the Lord, and I just realized that, it, it, you know, I have my, ride, my, 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 my Bible reading plan, but how uh, it's been so long since I've dove into that, and the problem, the dichotomy that I was wrestling with was this, was that I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but do I actually base my life on his teachings? Do I base my life on his teachings? And that's what we're going to be diving into for the next five months. Who here remembers life before cell phones? Anyone? Anyone? Some of you, don't, don't raise your hand if you feel old. I do. Uh, when I got my license, who here remembers driving cars without cell phones? Yes. Or maybe you had the cool car phone that was like this big and, you know. But here's a here's crazy thought to all you, you parents out there is that I started driving as a 16-year-old without a cell phone. So I could have taken the family car to Montreal and my parents would have no idea where I was, right? It was crazy. And like if I broke down, like what do you do? You walk home or something. You, get, you know, you hitchhike. It was like people used to live like that. It's crazy. <laughs> and after church, yeah. And after church, you know, like if you're like, hey, we're all going to go to wherever you went back in the early 2000s, like we're going to go to Chili's after the service. <laughs> Chili's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You knew it was coming. <laughs> we're going to go to Chili's. And, uh, but I don't know how to get there. Let me follow you. Any remember the days before GPS? <laughs> and you had to follow that crazy friend who drove like he was running from the police to get to the... <laughs> You know, and, but in order to get to the intended destination, which was Chili's, which you didn't know how to get to, you had to follow as closely and consistently as you could to your friend. When he went right, you had to go right. When he blew through that yellow light, 
right? You, 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 you cross yourself and say, Jesus, forgive me. I don't want to get T-boned or get arrested, and you blow through the light, right? Because, because in order to follow someone, you actually have to follow them. And I think with the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is inviting us into is the new and abundant life that he has called us to. And I think often we uh, get the difference wrong between professing faith in Christ and being citizens of the kingdom, but not adopting the ethics of our king and the ethics of heaven and the ethics of uh, the kingdom, which is the title for our sermon series, is Kingdom Ethics, that we've been, because of Jesus, we've been rescued and transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And just like any king and kingdom, there is an ethos, there is an ethic, there are things that heaven prizes and values above other things. And so... For the next four to five months, we have an amazing opportunity to dive into the core and central teaching of our King Jesus and what he prioritizes and asks of his followers. And so today's going to be kind of an intro sermon. I'm going to keep it brief, probably about an hour and a half. And um, the three things we're going to be looking at today is, well, what is the Sermon on the Mount? How do we, how do we approach the Sermon on the Mount? That's a million-dollar question there. And then lastly, what should we expect these next four to five months as we dive into this? So let me read Matthew 4, 23 through chapter 5, verse 2, and then we'll pray and dive in. And Jesus went throughout, and watch, watch how, look at what's happening in Jesus' ministry here. And he went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, all the afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from even beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. This week we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. What did he teach them? That's what we're going to be looking at the next five months. So he sat down, opened his mouth, and he taught them. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you singing your praises. We thank you, Lord, that uh, for those of us that have put our trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins and confess your lordship over our lives, that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, uh, a royal priesthood, God, precious sons and daughters, whose refrain is that your steadfast love endures forever. And so thank you, God, for your steadfast love, for your mercies that are new every morning, Lord Jesus. And thank you, God, that you don't leave us blind and in the dark to figure out what does new and abundant life look like right here and right now, God. But you have spoken, you opened your mouth, and you taught us, Lord Jesus. And you've gone to great lengths to give us your word, Lord, uh, today. And so thank you, God. We pray, Lord, just your blessing over this sermon series that you would have complete reign over our hearts in all of those areas where you have said turn right and we have turned left. God, would we repent all those areas where you say, bless those who persecute you, love your enemies, and we've said, you know what, I'm going to do the opposite, God. And all the ways that you said, do not lay up treasures in heaven, but when someone asks for you, you a two, for a tunic, you give them two. And when they ask to go one mile, you go with them an extra mile, God. Forgive us, God, for all the ways that we have deliberately and blatantly uh, disobeyed Jesus, your teaching, because of convenience and our love of comfort, God. So bring sweet conviction, Lord Jesus, but Holy Spirit, would you empower us to walk out and live the new life 
that you died to make possible. You died and rose to new life and poured out your spirit upon us to make it possible for us to live out this Sermon on the Mount, Lord Jesus. And so thank you for the precious gift of your word and your teaching, Jesus, and have your way with our hearts in your word. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Well, if you don't know much about it, it is the longest recorded teaching in all of Scripture of Christ Jesus. Uh, Matthew, it's, it's three chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And historically, it is one of the most influential and impactful sermons of all time. One of the most quoted and often misquoted sermons of all time. If you've talked to non-believers before, like, didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, like, stay true to thyself and thyself stay true? And you're like, mm, no, sorry, bro. Didn't, he didn't say that, not in the Sermon on the Mount. But hands down, as far as changing the landscape of human history, this sermon uh, stands apart from every other sermon or public uh, message that has been given from the lips of men. And the context, the context of the Sermon on the Mount often gets totally overlooked. And we just jump into the teachings. But it's important for us to slow down. And one of the keys to interpreting scripture properly is understanding the literary context. The literary context, okay? And so what's happening before Jesus sits down and gives a sermon on the mount? Well, his ministry's thriving. Uh, Syria, across the Jordan, Judea, Jerusalem, uh, all over the place, his fame is spreading. And he's proclaiming the gospel. It says the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. This is the good news that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God from the kingly line of David has come. The king has come to usher in the kingdom of God that will destroy the kingdom of darkness and liberate and save all those who are under the tyranny of sin and the tyranny of the devil. And the response throughout the gospels that Jesus preaches is the kingdom of God is at hand because the king of kings is here. Repent, tear up your citizenship papers of I'm a citizen of the kingdom of darkness and believe that I am who I say I am, that I am your king and you need to bend your knee to me and give your life to me as I'm about to give my life to you. That's the message of the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And on Turning from sin and turning to Jesus, you now by grace, through faith, enter into that heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You get salvation, you get forgiveness, you get reconciliation, you get glory to come, you get God's presence, the filling of your Holy Spirit. And evidence of Jesus' Messiahship and evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand is what does it say in our text that Jesus was doing in Matthew 4, 23 through 24? He, well, let me tell you. He healed every disease. He brought him the sick, the diseased, the demonized, the paralytics, and he healed them. And don't miss this. Don't miss people, man, for decade after decade after decade, wrestling with, with uh, paralysis or seizures or demonization or leprosy. They're limping. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're sorrowful. They're, they're under utter despair. There's no hope. They've been tortured by first century doctors, you know, that they found on Craigslist, and they can't get help. And the compassion that Jesus has, the hope that he brings them, the inbreaking of light, the inbreaking of hope, the inbreaking of everything that we were created for, everything our hearts are longing for, is heaven, is healing is peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, and he, the kingdom breaks in, and what does Jesus do? He ushers in the shalom of creation. 
He reverses the effects of the fall. Wherever there's sin and the curse of sin and death, he brings resurrection and healing. Wherever there's demonic and evil, Jesus casts those jokers out and brings restoration and he brings healing and life. It's amazing. No wonder. No wonder his fame is spreading. Imagine this. He heals 10 paralytics in a month. And those paralytics have 50 people in their immediate and extended family that know that these dudes are paralytics and now they're walking and they're moonwalking everywhere. In a week, Jesus, like, okay, so they go tell 50 people. Let's just say 50 people. In a week, Jesus has, if my math serves me correctly, uh, five, he just gained 500 followers in a week. Now imagine the compound effect of all the people he's healing across Judea, Jerusalem, Syria, all that stuff. There are thousands upon thousands that are rushing towards Jesus because of the undeniable fact that this man is the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and true and, and lasting freedom and healing is coming to people undeniable so they're gathered okay so let me paint the picture they're gathered okay and the picture is so fascinating and jesus is where they're seeing the kingdom come in power you know people dancing with the wheelchairs over their head all that stuff and they gather and jesus goes to a mount and he sits down and he begins to just teach them and what's fascinating is that when jesus begins to teach them this is not a holy ghost palooza this is not a seminar on how to heal the sick and cast out demons. What Jesus says, it says to the people that are coming and chasing after him, and some of them that are there that have been healed, and some of them that are there that want healing, he's saying, hey, let's, let's talk about what the kingdom of heaven cherishes above all else. Let's talk about love. For those of you that are coming and you want just physical healing, let me talk about your anger issue in your heart. For those of you that are coming here and you're limping and, and you're like hoping to get that free hip replacement from that, that guy Jesus and all this stuff, and then Jesus starts talking about lust and the Sermon on the Mount, and you're starting to squirm in your seat. And you're saying, wait a second, I thought I was just going to get my, my new hip. Jesus talking about not practicing your righteousness in front of others, but do it unto God. Jesus talking about turning the other cheek. When you're slapped in the face, Jesus saying that you are commanded to love your enemies and bless those who spit in your face and persecute you. Imagine the kind of like pin drop, you know, the, 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 the crickets chirping as people are so excited to see what Jesus is going to do. He's going to start running up and down and swinging blazers and like, come all you say all this stuff. And Jesus says, hey, let me talk about what the kingdom of God values most. I want your heart. And this is how we're going to change the world is when you let the, the reign of Christ into your hearts and your heart becomes transformed. And then, and then that heart transformation of you giving your life, the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom taking place in your heart, then it changes the way you love your fellow man. And that's how you change the world. And that's what I value above all else is love, not power. Is love, not power. Is what Jesus is saying. So that's fast. That, that blew my mind. That blew my mind when I, when I discovered that. Of all the things, the crowds are gathered, got them there, and they're like, man, come on, let's go. Let's get, like, let's, all that stuff. And maybe Jesus, Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus didn't do all those things and continue to do those things, and I'm not saying he hasn't commissioned us to do those things, but I'm saying that there is a priority list in the kingdom of God, and what the Sermon on the Mount is, it is, it is Jesus saying, this is the ethic of heaven. This is the ethic of the kingdom of God. This is what I prize above all else, and this is what I want for your life. And it's an invitation to be finally living a life free from the ethics of the world, from the, the enslaving, unsatisfying ethics that this world tries to shove down our face. And what Jesus is saying is this, is that where the kingdom of the world 
says, get, get, get. The kingdom of heaven says, give and lay it all down. And when the world says, get revenge, you harbor that bitterness and, bitterness and you swing back, baby. Jesus says, you forgive them and you turn the other cheek and you go an extra mile. And that's, that changes the world just as much as a sign and wonder changes the world. When followers of Jesus authentically, not under law, under grace, empowered by the Spirit of God, begin to follow and live out the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the world is changed not from the top down, but from the bottom up. From the, at 1,000%. Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> um, and that's what he's saying. He said that he's saying that the greatest currency in the kingdom of God is not power. It is first and foremost love. That's the chief currency. That's the primary ethic. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say about this sermon. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a great, I love this quote, nothing but a great and grand and perfect elaboration of what our Lord called his new commandment. His new commandment was that we love one another even as he has loved us. That the gospel, the kingly reign and rule of Jesus in our lives by the presence of his spirit inside of us, that love wrecks us in the best sense of the term. And that ethic, the gospel changes how we love others. How God has loved us now dictates how we love others. I was once an enemy to God. He died for me, his enemy. Now I love my, my enemies. And I pray for them and I bless them. And so all that to say, returning to the Acts change up, right? Like we were going to go to Acts and now Jesus is leading us in the sermon on uh, the mount. We felt like, I felt like the Holy Spirit said hit the brakes on Acts and hit the gas on sermon on the mount. I think what we're getting at is Jesus wants us uh, to be a community that pursues love, obviously, just as much as and more than we pursue the power of the Spirit. And if you're new at the transit, in 2021, we went through 10 months of the book of Acts. And it was awesome. Uh, I loved it. And let it be said from the pulpit that we believe that the book of Acts is to be what is biblically normal for the Christian today. That that is not a, something from a bygone era where we just sigh and say, man, those were the good old days. No, we are in the Acts 29 network. And we believe that we should be, if we're in the Acts 29 network and the church is the ministry of Jesus continued, then we should go back to the blueprint and figure out what did the church do? What did they prioritize, right? And what we see 1,000% is that the kingdom of God advanced by the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit. Through signs and wonders, the proclamation of the gospel, through the prophetic, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so all that to say is that with us diving in the Sermon on the Mount, we're not nullifying everything that, we, that the Lord invited us to pursue. This isn't a course correction, of the Lord to our community, what this is, is Jesus saying, just make sure you stay course. Just make sure you don't forget what are, what's most important. Anyone here been camping before? Yeah. Camping? Yeah. You know, as well as I do, when you go camping, there's a priority of things you need on a camping trip, okay? Exhibit A, like you're, you're going to take like a three-day three hike with Boo Bay, whatever you young folks say, right? And you're sorry. You're packing everything up. You're packing everything up at home, and uh, on the priority list, you know, you have food and water to sustain you for three days, and you have a selfie stick. <laughs> Which one takes priority, right? Like, all right, this obviously the selfie stick, because that's why you're hiking to get the, you know, the shot for the vista in the background. Anyways, um, but clearly, clearly, I think, I think, uh, suffice that to say, is this is that. What the Lord is saying is, yes, pursue the gifts of the Spirit because I've commanded you to do that in my word, which I'm about to show. 
stay that course. Just make sure that you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness just as much as you're hungering and thirsting to see me operate in power in and through your life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? Right living under God and in the sight of man. Righteousness, hungering and thirsting. Oh God, make me the holiest man post the redemption that I can be unto you. Right? Like that idea, like a hungering and thirsting. I'm going to talk about the Beatitudes next week. But, but that idea, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And do we hunger and thirst for righteousness as much as we want to hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God to come in power, which is still for today? Which is still for today. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says this. And we see that Jesus prioritizes love over power, which I'm about to show you from his, his word. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. The Lord's saying in here, don't forget some things on your journey in advancing the kingdom for the glory of the king. You have to pursue love just as much as you pursue prophecy. And the gifts of the spirit, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. This is smack dab in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, all about the gifts of the spirit. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have the gift of tongues, and I'm speaking a heavenly language. I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal without love. It's just meaningless noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Jesus is saying, don't forget that which is most important for your pilgrim journey following me in in this world. It is love. That is the primary ethic of my kingdom over and above power. And this is is how the Sermon on the Mount ends in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I'm going to read this and just let you all sit with it, and then we'll get back to it about four months from here. This is a heavy text. Jesus says this. This is the uh, second to last kind of passage uh, for his sermon. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, watch this, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating. We're going to dive into that, obviously, in a couple months when we get to that passage in the Sermon on the Mount. But on the day of judgment, in in this example Jesus is saying, is that the people in front of Jesus, they, they misunderstood what he prioritizes. They misunderstood it. They thought that they were, that what Jesus really cared about them was, you know, casting some devils out of people and healing the sick and prophesying, which Jesus commands his disciples to do, the 12, the 72, uh, in the book of Acts they do, and even the early church fathers. Go, go see what Tertullian wrote to the Roman officials in the height of persecution in the church. And Tertullian, this is a historical document writing to, to the Roman official of his day saying, hey, saying, listen, if you wipe us out from the Roman Empire through persecution, who's going to cast your demons out, you crazy pagans? That's what he's saying. Go look it up. Tertullian. So, 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 so exorcisms, they still happen post-Acts in the early church to the point that Tertullian would use it as evidence against the persecution of Rome and saying, you're all a bunch of crazy demonized pagans. I don't know what you're all doing in those temples, but you're getting demons. You come to us to get deliverance. 
in the name of Jesus, okay? So, so Jesus is saying, saying for sure not to not do that, but, but listen, watch, watch the indictment that comes. He says, he says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Meaning this, you, you shelved the Sermon on the Mount in my teaching about love. And Jesus, again, in Matthew 25, he talks about that great day. And what does Jesus say on that great day? He doesn't mention casting out demons. He doesn't mention healing the sick. He doesn't mention prophecy. What does he say? He says, did you welcome the refugee? Did you visit the incarcerated? Were the hungry fed? Did you clothe the naked? That's what I care the most about. And that's, and that's the greatest sign and wonder is a community dying to themselves and living for the good of others, even though, even, even their enemies who are persecuting them, right? And what we see in this example, what Jesus is kind of saying to them is, you claim to be a follower of me, but you have no love for me in your hearts and no love for others. You just wanted a Holy Ghost palooza. You just wanted a Holy Ghost palooza. Let me shelve Jesus, my love for him. Let me shelve a true sacrificial love for others. And let's just have a wild Holy Ghost palooza. And uh, I'm a man who loves the Holy Spirit as we're commanded to because he's God, the third person of the Trinity. And I'm a man who, who, uh, who by God's grace, um, I think we've seen some amazing things in 2021. We've seen the sick healed. We've seen the demonized delivered. And I'm not exaggerating one iota. We've seen it in actually mighty, mighty ways. We get to share a lot of stories. We saw in 2021 some awesome, accurate, and in 2020, some crazy prophetic words that were given. And so this is for today. But I think this course correction is Jesus saying, hey, just as much as you want to clothe yourself in power, and that's how my kingdom advances, never, 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 never do it at the fore, do it. Never, never, never take off love for the sake of clothing on power. First and foremost, you clothe yourself in love and you follow my teachings empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that too is how my kingdom advances. And so moving on to my last point, uh, actually not my last point, holy smoke, second point. Okay, my goodness. Uh, and you guys got your kids here. Okay, I'll speed it up. Um, the rebuttal is this. Isn't this legalism, Nick? When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, isn't this like, are we, are we preaching justification by works and not grace? How is this possible? And so it leads me to the, my second point is, how are we to, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, what should our approach be when we go to it, right? And I think, um, because what we're going to see is that the main thrust of the Sermon on the Mount is this, is how you and I shape and reorient our, our thoughts and our actions and our lives based upon who Jesus is and our citizenship in his kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is primarily about orthopraxy, not orthodoxy. It's about the practice of your faith, not just learning about your faith. It's actually living out and walking out the greatest commandment. That's what it's about. So how do we apply this? And the two dangers we can fall into, one danger is we can fall into nagging legalism, and the other danger we can fall into is nullifying license. Nagging legalism would say this. It would be a faulty thinking of, in order to become a follower of Jesus, I have to obey the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. That would be legalism. And that's just going to crush you. Like, it's going to devastate you. Why, why I say nagging legalism is we're going to open this and, and every day that you try to live this out and you fail, you're just going to be crushed by it and you're going to be brought to utter despair. And hopefully you're going to cry out and say, I need a savior and give your life to Jesus and realize that he obeyed this perfectly on your behalf. So there's grace there, okay? So that's one approach is saying that I believe that uh, uh, as a legalist, if we came to it from the nagging legalism perspective that I obey this and therefore I'm justified before God and then he gets in my favor and then he has to save me. So on the great day of judgment, I say, look at all my good deeds, and he has to welcome me. That's nagging legalism. We don't want to take that approach. We're not under the law. We're not under the condemnation of the law. We're under grace. 
we're under grace because of what Christ has done for us. But then, but then the danger, the equal danger, is we swing the pendulum from nagging legalism to nullifying license. Nullifying license. Another way theologians would talk about this would be the word antinomianism. Antinomianism. Anti against nomos law. Just again, just completely nullifying all the commands of Jesus. And, and this is often, let me say this, this is often how the Sermon on the Mount is preached. And for the sake of time, I will hold back on what I think about that kind of preaching. Um, basically, uh, what nullifying license says is, uh, I don't have to obey any of the commands of Jesus because he obeyed them perfectly on my behalf. So the law becomes completely meaningless for me because Jesus is my mediator. He's my high priest. He's uh, done that. So I can look at the cross and behold the precious lamb of God crushed under the wrath of God for my sins. Look at that cross and say, thank you so much. Give me my free pass to heaven and I'm going to go live like a pagan the rest of my life. And I'm going to go dance with the kingdom of darkness even though you died to ransom me into the kingdom of light. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we call that cheap grace. We call it cheap grace. That's not Christ-centered preaching. That's not gospel-centered preaching. I could share a podcast, a sermon by John Piper, where he was asked to preach a sermon of preaching Jesus, uh, every, preaching the cross from every passage of the scriptures at a conference, and he went nuts on the conference and said, we do not run from the commands of Christ to the cross. We run from the cross to the commands of Christ. That's what he says. And we've gotten, we've, we, we have used the cross in the church as a get out, of, get out of godliness, get out of the commands of Christ free card. And the way sermons end is Jesus obeyed this perfectly, eat, drink, and be merry, you're forgiven, don't change a thing, no weeping over your sin, no conviction of how you fall, still fall short, none of that, just, just rest in his finished work. And that's not, that's not the approach we're going to take here. There's a third approach, a much better approach, and it's called new life. It's called new life hungering and thirsting for the new life that Jesus died to make possible. And I'll, I'll, uh, Romans 6, Paul talks about this. Instead of nagging legalism or nullifying license, we're invited into new life. Romans 6, 1 through 4, the apostle Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at what he says, by no means. We can't just do what we want because we're Christians. By no means. I'm a slave to Christ. I'm not autonomous. I'm free now to obey Christ. That's what liberty is unto. Is liberty is unto obeying Jesus. Liberty is unto walking in holiness and rightness before God. Not autonomy for autonomy's sake. By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Died to sin. Still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Say it with me newness of life. And so, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is yes, you are united to Christ in his death. And you've died to your sins. They've been nailed to the cross. You remember him no more, but in case you remember them no more, but in case you forgot, you're united to him in his resurrection as well. And that resurrection out of the waters of baptism is what? Is unto a new life, a new abundant life where you no longer follow the prince of the power of the air and the ethics of that kingdom, but the ethics of your king Jesus. The, the beautiful hope is that that 
that Paul and the Holy Spirit gives to us in Romans 6 is, is the promise in Romans 6 is that because of what Christ has done, he says explicitly in Romans 6, sin will no longer have dominion over you. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Of course, we're going to wrestle with the presence of our sin. There's still going to be a battle to mortify the flesh and kill sin in us. But now that we are in Christ Jesus, we operate from the high ground, not the low ground. Ephesians 2, 6, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. By the power of the Spirit, we have an invitation into something uh, that our hearts have been thirsting for. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the Sermon on the Mount and the approach we should take to the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus Christ died to enable us to live the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just say, under his grace, knowing that we're going to fail time and time again to do it perfectly, knowing that the only way we're going to be able to do it is by the empowerment of the Spirit. He died, why? That he might purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works, says the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace. What does he mean? He means that Jesus died in order that I might now live the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus made this possible, this, this, uh, possible for me. So all that to say our approach is this, is we don't follow the Sermon on the Mount to become followers of Jesus. For the next five months, we're diving into the Sermon on the Mount because we want to obey this because we are followers of Jesus. It's because we're followers of Jesus that we want to dive into this, and we want the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures to search our hearts and to show us the way of abundant and everlasting life, that because I'm a follower of Jesus, how I'm going to approach this sermon series these next five months is I will commit by the empowerment of the Spirit, knowing that I'm under the grace of God when I fall short, to live my life according to what Jesus says, because Jesus knows what's best. Jesus knows what's best. And it's through this man and through his teaching, just as much as the power of the Spirit, that the world was turned upside down. The world was turned upside down. So my last point, and I'll conclude with this, and band, you can come forward, is what should we expect as we journey through this sermon series? Great question, right? What should we expect as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount? One, we should expect to have a deeper awareness of our desperate need for God. A deeper awareness of our desperate need for God to follow Jesus. The way, the opening line to the Sermon on the Mount Jesus gives is Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Basically what Jesus is saying, it, 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 is, it, it is blessed to know that before a holy God and his holy law, that you are spiritually broke. And the only posture you can take is on your knees saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner who falls short, who falls short. So what we're going to see in this is that in a way, probably hopefully not in a condemning way, but in a Holy Spirit convicting way is that just as it did with me in the office this week is that the Sermon on the Mount in the best sense of the term is going to crush us. It's really going to shape us and mold us and convict us of areas in our lives where we've hardened our heart, where Jesus has said, I want my people to consistently turn right and we've consistently turned left. Okay, and so we're going to see our desperate need for God, our desperate need for grace. We're going to see, and that's going to help us look to Jesus as our, our, as our high priest and the mediator uh, of a better covenant where we're not under condemnation, we're under grace. And we're also going to see this, is that not just grace for when we fail, but also the supernatural grace of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to begin to, in faith, walk this out, begin to live this out. That Christ, God gives the command, and then he gives the Holy Spirit empowerment and enablement for us to do the impossible. 
to turn the other cheek, to bless our enemies, to not lay up treasures in heaven, to not be anxious. God gives us the gift of his presence to help us because he's a kind God. He's a compassionate God. He's a steadfast God. And so we're going to see, hopefully through the sermon series, is we desperately need God every day, and we desperately need the empowerment of the Spirit to live out what he's called us to live out, okay? Second thing we're going to see is this, is we should expect blessing, upon blessing to come as we seek to apply this to our lives. And I'm not saying this. You're going to get a Mercedes in your driveway because, you know, you gave someone an extra jacket. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the, the, I'm saying the, the blessing of finally encountering the peace and the joy of living out the abundant life that Jesus called us to live, Right? I think often in our lives, we come to know Jesus, we're doing the best we can, but subconsciously, we just live like the rest of the world does, and we don't take God at his word, and we hoard up our wealth. We're not generous. We hold on to resentment. We don't follow what he says, and we wonder why we're, our hearts are, 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 are just sad and, and, and discouraged all the time, and we're like, we're wondering what's happening with our faith, what Jesus promises throughout time and time again, throughout his word in the Sermon on the Mount, is that the blessed life is, is, is those who... Who, who adhere to this, like the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And Jesus says at the very end in Matthew 7, he says, he says blessed is the man who not only uh, hears these words of mine, but does them, who does them. He's like a man who built his house on the rock. So we should expect joy unthinkable to come as God frees us from our anger, as God frees us from lust, as God frees us from our pride, as God frees us um, from all those areas in our heart that uh, we're, we're keeping from him. So I'm really excited to see what God has in store for us. And I believe that there is joy and abundance that comes with this invitation of us as a church saying, Jesus, we want to follow in your footsteps. And we want to take this adventure of following you into new life, into new life. And lastly, and I'll conclude with this, is as we begin to go on this journey and by the power of the Spirit, under the grace of God, begin to apply this to our lives, we should expect the watching world non-believers to see what's happening in our hearts and in our lives and begin to lean in a little bit and begin to ask some questions, right? Like when you take a walk in the neighborhood and all of a sudden your head turns because somebody's barbecuing some beef brisket and you catch that aroma and you're saying, what is that? I want in, I slow down, my head turns, I ask some questions a little bit. Where the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ and our hope with the sermon, with the Sermon on the Mount, is that we would get so close to Jesus and our hearts would be so wrecked by our sin and our lack of concern for following him that our lives would be changed by the power of his spirit and we stay close consistently, saying, Jesus, if you go right, I want to go right. If you say stop, I want to stop. If you say go, I want to go. And it, with that posture, we would begin to, to, in the best sense of the term, smell like him, the aroma of heaven, people asking questions. Why are you so generous? Why are you doing what you're doing? And we say, well, let me tell you about my precious Savior who didn't just die for my sins so that I could spend eternity with him, but died for my sins so that now I could live a new and abundant life by the power of the Spirit that starts today. That starts now. Let me tell you what he's like. He's changed my life. He's given me a whole new set of ethics. He set me free from sin. He set me free from all the other ethics I used to live my life uh, for. And there's joy in him. There's peace in him. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says this. We should expect this to happen because Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? That they may see the hope you have in Jesus. They may see your good works and not give glory to you for being a good Christian, but give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so simply put, these next five months, we get to put a bunch of double-A batteries into our dimly lit hearts and begin to shine brightly again as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think God, by His Spirit, has amazing, awesome things in store for us. And as we do this, I really believe as we seek to do this in sincerity and love, the world around us, in our homes, in the church, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, is going to begin to start asking questions and, and going to begin to be drawn into the light they see that we're clothing ourselves in love and clothing ourselves in the ethics of our King Jesus and his kingdom. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what you do best. Shine brightly into those dark recesses of our hearts right now where consistently in our lives, God, we have, we have had a stiff neck and we have looked at you and we have said, no, I am not going that route. We posture our hearts, God. We're not here to be a church that prides itself in preaching through the scriptures. We're here to bend our knee to allegiance to you, King Jesus. And so these next five months, Jesus, I just pray that you would have full and total reign in our hearts and we begin to embody and clothe ourselves in love and your ethics. And we'd forsake the ethics of the world. We'd forsake the priorities of the world. And we put in front of us what heaven prioritizes, what our king wants, no other earthly king. We bend our knee to the true king, King Jesus, and what he wants for our lives, God. So I pray, God, that hearts full of anger and rage would be healed in this sermon series, God. You're after our hearts, hearts that are full of lust and greed and secret sin, that you would shine brightly and that there'd be repentance, tear-filled, on the floor, weeping over our sins, God. Areas where we could care less about our enemies and we, we pray vengeance and wrath on our enemies, that you'd soften our hearts, God. And you would show us that apart from your grace, we are, we are toast, God. Blow us away with your grace. Blow us away with your love. Who are we that we would receive the, the, the darling of heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crushed for us? Who are we to receive such love, such mercy, such compassion, God? And as, this, as, as we go into your word these next five months, uh, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see uh, the Father's love for us. And may that ruin us in the best sense of the term. And will we gladly be generous? Will we gladly go the extra mile? Will we gladly love our enemies? Because we've been so loved by you, God. So we pray your blessing over this series, Lord. Most, but most importantly, we posture our hearts, Lord God, in repentance. And saying, here we are, Lord God, have your way. If there be any grievous way in me, reveal that and lead us, Jesus, this sermon series. Lead us, God, in the way of everlasting. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen.